Truth Espresso, episode 178. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. there and welcome to this episode of Truth Espresso. I am joined by my sweet, wonderful, beautiful co-host, Chelsea, my wife, and we are going to talk about abortion in this episode. We finished our series, our Easter-centered series on the Passion Week, and now we're going to get into a little bit of the current news of the day, and one of the big things in the news today is related to abortion. The possibility of Roe versus Wade, among other things, getting overturned by a Supreme Court ruling after nearly 50 50 years of its standing, and of course, <laughs> both sides of this issue are kind of going strong, and those who are in favor of abortion are kind of going bonkers over this possibility. And so, here to talk about <laughs> what is going on with this and what kinds of things have happened as a result of this possibility is my sweet, beautiful co host and wife, once again, Chelsea. Thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, and thanks for letting me join you on this one. <laughs> I know we've talked about abortion a lot on our podcast, but of course, every episode of abortion is definitely warranted, but this is also, I think, is going to be pretty interesting. You're ready to talk about interesting development and interesting uh, actions of people <laughs> related to this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's dive in. <laughs> So, what are we talking about here, about Roe versus Wade getting overturned? Well, what's going on with this? And just what happened unusual is the fact that a draft of the ruling that was supposed to happen possibly in June of this year got leaked. So someone in the Supreme Court, likely a clerk of one of the justices, leaked a February draft of the ruling for the case of Dobbs versus Jackson, women's health organization. That got leaked to Politico, and Politico, of course, posted it to get more ratings, more, uh, you know, audience, because they got an exclusive on this. And so Politico published a leaked draft of a ruling opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito back in February on the Dobbs versus Jackson case. We'll have links to that in the show notes from Politico. And, of course, this is not the way things usually happen. Obviously, someone had an agenda. Someone who had access to this opinion, this decision here, a draft of it, 
It seems that whoever leaked it wanted to leak it so as to allow backlash before the ruling would actually happen officially and possibly to prevent it, to change it, to get justices to change their minds or whatever, just to prevent what this ruling was going to do possibly from happening or at least to raise a lot of hay about it. So let's uh, look into this ruling a little bit and see what is it all about, the fact that it overturns Roe versus Wade, among other cases, particularly Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which happened about 20 years after Roe. But what does this thing do and what does it not do if it goes ahead, as the draft says, if the draft becomes the official ruling, if the justices don't change their decision? decisions on it or change what the ruling says. Now, the ruling doesn't ban abortion. (laughs) It simply concedes that the issue of abortion isn't a matter for the Supreme Court as it relates to the Constitution itself, and so it's a matter for the people to decide in the respective states. That's basically the gist of the decision. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of politics about what this does or doesn't do, but those who are for abortion don't seem to really plainly acknowledge what this ruling actually does and why it does what it says, (laughs) and they think that it's some positive judicial activism on the part of the conservative side here. But it doesn't really make a case that abortion should be banned as a matter of federal law or federal decision. It's basically saying the court erred in Roe. It's really not up to the Supreme Court, and it's supposed to be a matter for the people to determine, like, okay, if this is a matter that concerns citizens, their votes, their states and stuff, they should determine it by votes and laws. It's legislative, not a matter of for a case in the Supreme Court. So I find it interesting that the pro-choice, actually I'll call them pro-abortion, people are so afraid of Roe v. Wade being overturned because if the overturning of it results in the states having more control over what happens or not, isn't that kind of what they are for, like that people should have a voice, they should not have government interference with their fundamental right to abortion. And the Supreme Court is saying, yeah, it's not their place to rule on the right to privacy or the right to an abortion. So it's just kind of interesting that part of the overturning of Roe v. Wade is actually what pro-abortion people want, but they're so (laughs) fixated on um, parts that they think will be more restrictive. Yeah, because it seems like to them, especially if they're Democrats, you know, pro-abortion Democrats, the big thing that they always say is whether something is a threat to our democracy. And so, but the Supreme Court's decision is basically trying to argue that, well, if it's related to democracy, it's an issue for people to decide in their states. And so, yeah, like if it's the democracy that is at issue here, then it's more democratic. Democratic, you would think, if it were decided by the people voting on a law or the states themselves, in a sense, and not by a panel of nine judges to determine what all the states are allowed or not allowed to do. 
just referring to the issue of federalism there, it seems that as we look at the decision here, some of the details here, that it seems to make sense to me the way they argue that really it's like <laughs> Roe was wrongly decided, its logic was like it's trying to make something here for the Supreme Court to legislate when it's not really warranted to do so. There's no basis for it, and the ruling does basically say, let the people decide. The issue is for the people to vote on and for legislators or representatives of the people to write laws accordingly. And that basically the Supreme Court shouldn't be making laws by its rulings, and it's not within the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court or the Constitution as a federal instrument for this particular issue and how it was decided. (laughs) That's basically what the decision argues, and we'll see as we get into it the reasoning there. But you think if someone is all about democracy... And, you know, I've talked about democracy, you know, on previous episodes, but let's give the benefit of the doubt. If you're all about democracy, why would you cede the power to, you know, nine people in robes (laughs) for the whole nation of now 340 million people or so? Well, especially because the pro-abortions say that they're in the majority here. So if that's accurate, that they're the majority of what Americans want, then they shouldn't have any qualms about if Roe v. Wade's overturned or not, because then they can just overtake each state and (laughs) have it how they want. But that's not accurate. Exactly. So (laughs) they're just trying to make it appear like they're the majority, and it's not. There was a poll recently done that showed over 70% of Americans want restrictions on Mm. abortion because the more technology, the more information we have about the development of the baby and just even medical life-saving treatments we have now, more and more people are like, wait, this is a human being and this baby can be treated, this baby can survive. And I think people are seeing more inside the womb and what's actually going on. And that's making more people say, yeah, we need restrictions on abortion. Yeah. So you mentioned the poll about 70%. So when it comes to how Roe and particular Casey have determined what states are allowed and not allowed to do, the reasoning is kind of flawed, but also antiquated (laughs) or uh, um, outdated, obsolete in what was known at the time. And so the 70%, we're not saying 70% of people polled are what you'd call 100% pro-life, but about 70% in according to answering the questions, possibly based on some levels of ignorance, they believe that there should be restrictions on abortion more so than what these cases force states not to do certain things, you know, allow. So basically it's like, okay, when it comes down to it, enough people, the majority of people think about abortion a little more strictly than Roe and Casey allow for states to regulate. 
So let's get into this leaked decision and see some salient points that it makes and see really, is it something that you know the accusations about it actually do? Like with the accusations about what the justices are allegedly trying to do with this decision and how they're trying to strip away people's rights, does this decision warrant those accusations based on its reasoning? And so on page two of the decision, there's a statement. It says, quote, the court did not explain the basis for this line, referring to Roe's argument about viability. And even abortion supporters are found it hard to defend Roe's reasoning, unquote. So at the beginning, the decision is explaining that Roe's reasoning of restricting states' ability to regulate abortions before what it calls viability, Roe didn't really define and argue that enough. It didn't really defend its reasoning or explain it in such a way that made enough sense. And so the decision is saying even people like, say, medical people or people who have scientific knowledge who support abortion they criticize Roe that it wasn't realistic. It can't defend itself, basically. And so the decision is evaluating like, okay, if the criteria of Roe or the idea that Roe should stand based on the Dobbs versus Jackson case before it, since we're having to evaluate this case in the Supreme Court, can this actually stand? And that's what the the decision is doing. It's what it's forced to do. It's what the justices have been forced to recognize here. Like, can we defend this? And the majority here say, no, there's just no way. You know, it's kind of like push comes to shove. We're finally forced to evaluate these longstanding court rulings and we just simply cannot defend it because it's indefensible. <laughs> so I don't want to sidetrack too much, but <laughs> I know I focused on the Senate that bill that was presented this last week, the Women's Health Protection Act, and we can go into more details about it later. But one part of that was trying to address the terms of viability. Mm. It says that abortion is yeah. should be available prior to viability and after viability. And then it further details that it's actually up to the provider performing the abortion to decide if the pregnancy or if the baby is actually viable or not. <laughs> it's almost going back even further than what Roe v. Wade was saying. At least Roe v. Wade was like, okay, before viability, even though we're not really defining what viability is, now we're saying, okay, viability doesn't even matter. Mm. You can just decide whenever you want to kill this baby. In the womb, outside of the womb, it doesn't matter. It's up to the doctor and that woman. So one baby could be viable at 23 weeks because one doctor determines it, but another one at 23 weeks wouldn't be viable because a different doctor determined that. And yeah, like that doesn't sound very precise to me or very like, you know, if you're talking about rights and stuff under the law, that doesn't sound, <laughs> yeah, very fair or equal protection or so on. If we were to apply the 14th Amendment in that way to whatever's so-called viable, but yeah. <laughs> well, you can even extend it past birth at <laughs> oh, that yeah. point. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And that's the scary part is that we are just allowing for infanticide to come in and take over. (laughs) And they do it in such a sneaky (laughs) way that I think it is so important for us to really look through all these different documents, all these different debates that are happening right now and try to understand as much as we can about what is going on because there is a lot of evil that is trying to yeah. just undermine the value and the preciousness of life. Yeah, and more and more, the forces that are in favor of abortion ultimately don't think any human life has intrinsic worth or value. And it's basically like, it's just the strong over the weak. Think about like Nazi Germany and stuff. The idea of only if you're worth something to the state, do you have anything that the state arbitrarily determines that you have a right to life. Otherwise, if anyone who could somehow be dependent on anyone else, you know, the state could determine that that person is not doesn't have a right to life and stuff. That seems like where we're headed with this nonsense. But yeah. <laughs> so back to the decision. And so uh, some more salient points as to how it argues that Roe and Casey should be overruled. It mentions on page three now that Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was uh, determined in 1992, so 19 years after Roe versus Wade, it mentions that four of the justices, remember there's nine justices, four of the justices believed Roe should be overturned. So think about that. <laughs> four out of nine, almost half, believe that Roe could, should just be discarded entirely, kind of like now with Dobbs versus Jackson. Only two defended Roe itself. The other three didn't really think that Roe had merit, you know, so kind of like seven out of the nine really believed Roe was indefensible, but Planned Parenthood still got the ruling because the three that, although they didn't think Roe had merit, they concurred with the two to rule for Planned Parenthood, and ruling for Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the majority opinion upheld Roe on the basis of stare decisis and maintaining respect for this court. So it was basically kind of like, a, we don't want to open Pandora's box here, you know, kind of thing. Like people might think the court is a laughing stock if we just totally overthrow Roe. How could they have confidence in the court if we just can't uphold a landmark decision uh, and keep it in place? You know, we can't just discard it willy-nilly like this, even though all facts and logic say we should. And so, you know, in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, they were kind of thinking along the lines of where they're forced to think on Dobbs versus Jackson here, but they're afraid of (laughs) overturning it. And so it's kind of like, okay, we got to keep precedent. We got to keep stare decisis, which basically is the idea of past decisions should carry weight. (laughs) when you're ruling on present cases. But obviously, you know, this decision here in this leaked document is going to argue finally that stare decisis does not require that Roe be upheld and everything requires that even looking at, even evaluating stare decisis, Roe still must be discarded because we'll see that they present obvious landmark cases where later rulings completely overturned landmark cases based on the merits of the ruling. Now, 
<laughs> what's interesting about Planned Parenthood versus Casey that this uh, decision explained is that, in a sense, <laughs> Planned Parenthood versus Casey kind of overturned Roe because. When you think about it, what was Roe's reasoning in its ruling? How did it determine to apply abortion restrictions? It gave states, I'm sure, sweetheart, you could probably explain more about this, but it set up this trimester type thing. You know, you have the period of pregnancy divided into roughly three equal parts. And then it said that states could not prevent abortions or legislate against abortions before viability, which it determined kind of like roughly beginning the third trimester there. So at the time, that's how it defined viability. Of course, before we had the kind of ultrasounds that we have today and more medical technology that allows babies to be viable, quote unquote, even earlier than Roe did. So that was Roe versus Wade basically arguing the right to privacy and so on and the trimester structure. Now the leaked decision in Dobbs versus Jackson demonstrates that Roe in a sense was overturned in that respect by Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So Planned Parenthood versus Casey tried to hold to what it considered the core doctrine of Roe but it replaced Rose <laughs> criteria with its own criteria. So how does it really uphold Roe if it completely discards Roe's reasoning about the right to privacy and the trimester structure? It replaced it with a different legal positivism, an ambiguous undue burden test. And it had its own set of rules for determining what was undue burden on a woman. So basically, states could not restrict abortions in such a way that it would cause undue burden on the mother to get an abortion and it had its own set of rules for determining what is an undue burden so it was kind of like okay let's hold to rose guarantee of abortion but let's have completely different criteria for it just throw that away but still uphold the so-called right don't argue it based on a right to privacy but just argue based on the word liberty in the 14th amendment and supply an undue burden test so I know we talked about this before too when we were kind of going more into detail about the Roe v. Wade decision, but I always think that the Doe v. Bolton decision <laughs> yeah. was even actually more weight and it was decided on the same day as Roe v. Wade, but Roe v. Wade just gets more attention mm. because Doe v. Bolton came in and said it doesn't even matter trimesters mm. yeah. if the only thing that matters is the health of the mom mm -hmm. and then they defined the health yeah. part to be so broad yeah. that it could be for any reason emotional physical mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> basically anything so i think that there's so many different cases that you would think they would actually go after more or be like okay as long as they don't overturn doe v bolton we still have this so it's just interesting that it's always so focused on roe v wade when you're pointing out with the mm -hmm. casey versus Planned parenthood that there's so many 
<laughs> different rulings that actually kind of trump the Roe v. Wade decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when we talk about overturning Roe versus Wade, it's kind of almost this general sense of did the Supreme Court have the right to determine this for the states? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what, really what it's about. And yeah, so all these cases that have their completely own different definition of terms, different criteria, all based on the same end goal of of just saying, okay, states cannot regulate abortion beyond what we want it to be, or we just have to make sure there's some kind of federally recognized right to an abortion and prevent the states from interfering with that. But it's, for all three of those cases, the you know the criteria is completely different, the reasoning's different. It's kind of like a fishing expedition in the Constitution and the amendments to figure out, like, can we find some language that we can use to say i think we can find abortion in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so the decision points this out kind of saying that roe resorted to basically legislating when that's not what this court is for the court is not to write legislation and that's what roe did with the trimester scheme Casey with the undue burden and its criteria, that's all legislation and that's not the purpose of a court. So it's saying that the court overstepped its bounds in those cases there. It says on page four also that 26 states at this moment, so that's over half the states, don't agree with Roe and Casey and want to manage their own policy on abortion. So that's another reason why the court constitutionally shouldn't interfere with the states because at least 26 states don't agree with Roe and Casey and want to have their own laws on abortion. And they should be allowed to do that constitutionally. So the heart of uh, the decision that's often quoted is on page five that says, We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, unquote. So that's basically the bombshell statement there, kind of summarizing the findings there that has pro-abortion advocates up in arms. Yes, because that is the number one slogan of pro-abortion right now is that abortion is a fundamental right. And this ruling does not recognize that. In fact, this decision does go into some good detail and asks some salient questions about abortion itself. It's not perfect, of course, this ruling isn't, but I think Alito and some of the conservative justices, like, they're trying to be fair and recognize the limits of their office, but they do the research and they do ask the questions that you could then recognize, okay, when you think about it, abortion should not be legal, but they recognize, okay, with the arguments and with the Constitution, it's just not in the purview of the Supreme Court to be ruling on this matter. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. 
You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. So, on page five also, the decision cites Washington versus Glucksburg, a case in 1997, for determining the scope of the Supreme Court and how it can recognize a right and criteria that it decided, Washington versus Glucksburg, is that a right via the Supreme Court would be recognized if it's, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, unquote. And so, that's one of the things, like, based on that case, if we're talking about stare decisis here, the decision looks at the history of abortion laws in the states and then determines, is abortion deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition? <laughs> and so, page 15, we go to that, it asks, or it determines, by looking at abortion history, it determines that what is deeply rooted in American history is that every single state state had an abortion ban at some point, especially in the latter half of the 1800s. So the decision has an appendix at the end of it after the opinion, and it contains the text of every state's abortion ban in the 19th century. So it's kind of like, okay, deeply rooted in this nation's history, you know, there's no such right recognized. In fact, the opposite is true. So the decision looks at that to prove. It also looks at court cases, even some that I looked at in the abortion fiction series um, early on in this podcast's history. Some of the cases in the early colonies before the Constitution that clearly recognized that abortion was murder. It was called murder. It talks about the question of quickening and the decision reasons that, like, okay, it's not clear looking in the documents why there was a line drawn or in some sense, or like whether it's vague, but there's a distinction between pre-quickening and quickening, but the decision figures that that was because at the time they lacked the know-how, the technology to determine when a life had in fact begun. And that was true because I know Roe tries to go through some history of abortion trying to make a case that like, oh, America has always recognized it wasn't until recently that abortion was restricted. At least before quickening, we recognized a right to abortion. That's not true. The, this decision says, okay, it wasn't true. It's just that, okay, it was hard before quickening even to know if you actually had a baby inside, if you had something living inside, you know until you felt the baby kick you might not even know a woman might not even know she was pregnant and that's why okay if she maybe had some sickness and drank something the punishment might be different than if she had something detectably moving around and she drank something then the punishment would be worse and so it wasn't because there was any kind of recognition of a so-called abortion right at all during the colonies. It was only because they were trying to act based on what they knew with what was available to them. And so the decision makes that argument so it never had to do with any kind of legally recognized right to an abortion, as Roe tried to argue. So listening to some of the upset pro-abortion people commenting on the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned, some of the common things that they say include that I am fearful for my daughter and my granddaughter because pretty soon they're going to have less rights than what I had growing up. 
And there's this constant idea that when we're putting restrictions on abortion, that somehow that's enslaving women and that they even say like abortion is freedom. And it's just interesting going through some of that history stuff and yeah, recollecting that series that you did. Okay, that was actually more freeing to women to have these restrictions in place in these bands because then it wasn't going against how God made them. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that just kind of goes back to, right, God made women to bear children and mm-hmm. carry children. And I know with uh, disease and just a sin, there are some women who can't even bear children. But never did God make us to actually kill our own offspring or kill our own children. And just going back to that very fundamental principle that God told Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. Mm, And that's how God made us. He made us to bear children, to have these generations. And I think that we are lacking so much in our country because we have been destroying Mm. one of God's most precious gifts to us, and that's children. Yeah, definitely sweetheart. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of a little rampage there. (laughs) (laughs) A little, yeah, it's hard not to want to rant about this because as we're getting into this, these seem like details that aren't really a addressing the full life versus abortion argument from absolutes, but there is merits to this decision that's based on purview and history and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, as we mentioned the history there, and you mentioned like the freedom for women. (laughs) Back during the colonies, it was more dangerous for women to drink these like kind of potions or poisons that could end up affecting their health, trying to kill babies and then Oftentimes, it was men who abused women who were forcing them to drink these things. So it was men who really didn't care. They just wanted their sin covered up, and they were carelessly expecting women to endanger their own health to cover up their sin and stuff. And so it protects women by not killing the baby because the men are then responsible, of course, to care for the women and for the children, whether they're married to them or not. And so that's how abortion can also result in abusive men getting away with more and more abuse by covering things up, killing the baby, and then maintaining... (laughs) a captive woman there to abuse further. So now back to the decision and constitutionality. So what's interesting here, the decision mentions that Roe tried arguments that different amendments to the Constitution granted a so-called right to privacy. So Roe tried to argue that a, the abortion should be a right because of a constitutional right to privacy. And, it, and this decision mentions that Roe was kind of like, okay, maybe it's this amendment and this amendment combined or maybe it's if it's not found there maybe it's here and so on it's kind of interesting the strangest to me was the claim that perhaps the 19th amendment granted it i'm sorry not the 19th the 9th amendment if you know anything about the 9th amendment and the 10th amendment of the constitution you know those are the kind of the state's rights (laughs) amendments Uh, so the 9th amendment is a claim that the constitution itself is not intended to defend find the scope of rights that the peoples of the states already have outside the Constitution. 
So how can the Supreme Court, which is a federal institution set up by the Constitution as a compact among the states, evaluate the enumerated rights given in the amendments in the Bill of Rights via the Constitution? How can so the Constitution as a federal document cannot be used to grant or enforce rights that hasn't explicitly stated. So <laughs> the Ninth Amendment is basically saying that this is not intended to either expand or subtract from the rights the people already have via their states because the Constitution is a compact among the states. So trying to claim that the Supreme Court can overrule the state by imposing a so-called right to privacy via the Ninth Amendment? You know, that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, the Ninth Amendment is basically to say the federal government can't trample on rights that the Constitution has not provided. <laughs> So most of the claim in Roe is that the right could be found in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And now I will point out that lots of things, lots of cases have tried to use the 14th Amendment as an excuse for forcing so-called rights on the states that aren't expressed in the language. For instance, I don't remember exactly what case it was, but I know the idea of people moving to California for welfare and stuff that California provided. Basically, it was California had wanted to have a criteria, like although California provided its own welfare benefits, it was the idea that, oh, well, you have to be a resident of California for a certain number of years before that applies. And then the Supreme Court basically said, no, you have to provide these welfare rights to someone who just moves to California because it's equal protection under the law and due process and so on. So the 14th Amendment has been abused far beyond what the original drafters intended when it had to do with slavery. <laughs> And yeah, so the 14th Amendment. Now, Casey, as we said, Casey was completely different from Roe. Casey claimed that the word liberty, no state shall deprive a person of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. They focus on the word liberty in the 14th Amendment, and that guaranteed the right to an abortion. You know, of course, was the 14th Amendment talking about abortion when he used the word liberty? You know, it was clearly talking about the idea that someone shouldn't own someone else. But mm -hmm. abortion seems to be that a woman or has rights over their unborn child, you know. So I don't think that works very well, but... Did you just imply that abortion <laughs> is similar to slavery? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what the, it's totally taking the 14th Amendment and turning it on its head. Mm -hmm. It would be like saying that the word liberty implies that a plantation owner in the South has a right to the liberty that having a slave would afford them, liberty to have financial security and have a standard of living and stuff. So it's kind of like, okay, to whom do you apply the word liberty? 
liberty. What's the, the purpose of liberty was to say that these are human beings. They have a right to their own personal liberty and not to be owned or controlled by someone else. And abortion is similar to slave owner there. And so, yeah, Casey totally turned the 14th Amendment on its head by saying that the word liberty implies a right to an abortion that women can have to kill their unborn children. (laughs) And this decision argues that that's nonsense. (laughs) So another argument that the decision refutes is that Roe and Casey must stand via stare decisis, you know, precedent must hold on page 35 and it also says that there are plenty of landmark rulings that have been completely overturned for instance plessy versus ferguson is a good example and that was overruled by brown versus board of education so we're talking about segregation earlier and then desegregation later now you know of course i have my own opinions that neither of those rulings are perfect but the point still stands that the first one was saying that it was forced segregation and that was a landmark ruling and if stare decisis forced that plessy versus ferguson had to stand then yeah a lot of people would be pretty upset about that today by today's standards but that shows that roe can't just stand because of stare decisis and i'd like to ask the question how many of us would would want the Dred Scott decision to stand because of stare decisis. So stare decisis does not in any way prove that Roe or Casey should stand because of precedent. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, basically that's the decision. There's more to the decision, but those are some highlights to point out. So if you read the decision for yourself, the leaked decision, you realize this wasn't judicial activism It was very well-reasoned. It's not perfect, but they reasoned within the parameters of the law what the Constitution intends, what their, you know, their roles are as Supreme Court justices. And so they decide that Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey must be overruled based on basically their duties set up by them under the Constitution. And so, yeah. I know we were talking about this earlier this evening, just how a lot of the arguments or things that the pro-abortion side want to present or they claim doesn't make sense. And a lot of it seems so illogical or just even crazy. And we were talking about how all of that seems somewhat upside down. And I was reminded of a verse in Psalms 119, verse 105, where it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I think that verse is just really neat to just yeah. think about in this and that, okay, the pro-abortion people, they do not believe in God. They do not read his word. They do not know truth. They don't know what's right and wrong. So their path is going to be dark. It's going to be evil. It's going to be unknown, not clear, I guess. And then for us who are Christians and we do believe in God, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we study God's Word, then that helps us to see truth. That helps us uh, to know what is right and wrong. And I think that's probably the important thing to take away from going through this Roe v. Wade outline and draft that we're discussing is, 
okay, what does God say in his word? What are the principles? What are things that we can draw from and shed light on what's going on? And those are the truths that we need to hold on to. And that will give us the strength and the clarity for what we need to do, because this isn't a battle that's going to end Hmm, with the final decision of, okay, is Roe v. Wade overturned or not? It's a battle that's going to continue, and we can't just sit back and be like, hooray, Roe v. Wade's overturned, (laughs) a victory. (laughs) No, this is a start of, yeah, yeah, okay, that might be something big, but this should be a time to light the fire under Christians to stand up for life. Because there's going to be a lot of battles, I think, that come from this. And we're seeing some of that even now. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. next time yeah. we're going to get into kind of the responses of it and yeah. <laughs> kind of the exciting, crazy, <laughs> interesting <laughs> side of it. But. Yeah, exactly, sweetheart. And the yeah, the people who are up in arms about this, yeah, they don't have the light in front of their feet. They don't see where the steps lead, that where they want to walk. They don't see any kind of order to where they're going other than what they determine to be the ultimate good. And it's not based on an absolute standard of morality. It's not based on a value for life. It's not based on God's absolute truth and his word. It ultimately seems to be narcissism and selfishness, <laughs> you know, as we will see next week as we get into reactions to this decision. And so, I hope that this was helpful to help you get an understanding of what really this decision is all about, how it's based, and it's not based on the arguments that the opponents have said that this is any kind of judicial activism. In fact, it's basically overruling judicial activism on the part of Roe and Casey and basically saying this was just not legitimate from the first place. And now, if you want to determine the fate of abortion, it's up to your vote not to a panel of nine judges and so yeah we're going to get into that next week and so stay tuned and god bless thank you for waking up with truth espresso good morning and god bless your day hey friends daniel minnick here again if you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 